What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Now, look, I don't want to beat around the bush today. We have one topic and one topic only to talk about, and that's the breaking news from yesterday that the PGA Tour and Live Golf are merging. I'm going to walk you guys through the details, including how this deal got done, what it means for current players on the PGA Tour and Live Golf, and how it might impact every other sport from Formula One and soccer to boxing and esports. So let's get right into it. All right, so the most logical place to start with this is the very beginning. When the Saudi-backed Live Golf League broke onto the scene last year, they were handing out more than $1 billion in signing bonuses to some of the world's best players. And current PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan made his feelings of discontent very well known. Monahan referenced Saudi's involvement in 9-11, chastising players like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau for taking Saudi's money. And Monahan also claimed moral superiority, convincing Tiger Woods to turn down $800 million, Roy McElroy to turn down $500 million, Hideki Matsuyama to turn down $300 million, and Will Zalatoris to turn down $130 million, who is now hurt and not playing. So these athletes ended up staying with the PGA Tour. And I mean, can you blame Jay Monahan? He reportedly gets paid about $15 million annually, plus the personal use of a private jet whenever he wants to run the world's most powerful golf organization. And with Live Golf's bottomless pit of cash, they were threatening his entire lifestyle and career. And many golf fans seemed to understand his frustration. Of course, he would be frustrated. But what we didn't know until yesterday was that PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan had spent the last several weeks playing both sides behind closed doors. He flew to Venice and London, meeting up with Saudi leader Yasir al-Rahman for meals and rounds of golf. Additional meetings were then held in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. And these conversations ultimately came to light yesterday with the announcement of a merger between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Now, before we get into the details around the merger itself, I want to give a little history of Saudi and their involvement with sports because I think it's particularly important with this situation going on right now. So Saudi Arabia's interest in diversifying its economy through sports is no secret. It's been going on for years. Everyone knows about it by now. The country's state-controlled oil company, Aramco, so Saudi Aramco, the world's biggest oil company, they're owned by the state. 98% of the company is owned by Saudi Arabia itself. That company produces more than 10 million barrels of crude oil per day, reporting a profit, a profit of $161 billion last year alone. Billion dollars, $161 billion in profit last year. That's $441 million in profit every single day throughout the year, or $316,000 in profit every single minute throughout the year. And it was the highest ever recorded annual profit by a publicly listed company in history. So, to give you guys some more context, again, it's a company controlled by Saudi Arabia. It's the world's largest oil producer. They made $161 billion in profit last year. And their market cap as of today is $2.1 trillion, which is the third largest in the world, only trailing Apple and Microsoft. But still, oil is a somewhat of a tricky business. And Saudi Arabia is extremely reliant on fossil fuels. For example, oil currently accounts for 42% of Saudi Arabia's total GDP. 87% of its budget revenues, and 90% of export earnings. Essentially, their entire economy is propped up by oil. And when Saudi Arabia saw a sharp decline in oil prices throughout the early 1980s, they entered a deep, prolonged recession that took them nearly three decades 
to recover from. So that's why Saudi Arabia's crown prince, we'll call him MBS, Mohammed bin Salam, announced the Saudi Vision 2030 plan in April 2016. So the plan is called Saudi Vision 2030, and it has a bunch of official language that talks about, and I quote, increasing non-oil trade and investment in Saudi Arabia, and again, quoted from the, the Vision Plan, developing public service sectors to promote a more secular image of the nation. But in simple terms, if we were to just break it down, the Crown Prince MBS essentially laid out a plan to reduce the kingdom's economic dependence on oil by diverting oil profits via their $620 billion sovereign wealth fund into other industries like sports, entertainment, housing, luxury items, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the report actually called out sports itself. They said, we aspire to excel in sport and be among the leaders in selected sports regionally and globally. And to be quite honest, that's exactly what they're doing. It's estimated Saudi Arabia has already invested more than $10 billion in different sports leagues, teams, and events. And I want to read off a few examples for you guys so you have context on kind of how wide-ranging this investment is. First off, Saudi Arabia bought Newcastle United Football Club, the Premier League team, for $408 million in 2021. That team is now run essentially by Saudi Arabia and their private investment fund. Saudi Arabia also has a 10-year, $1 billion deal with WWE that guarantees at least two events each year will be in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia also has a 10-year deal with Formula One. That's worth $650 million and guarantees them a race every single year in their country. And also, when you look at Formula One, Saudi Arabia's state-owned oil company Aramco has a 10-year, $450 million sponsorship deal with Formula One, too. They're a presenting sponsor of the series. So if you look at those two deals with Formula One combined, that's over a billion dollars over the next 10 years they are playing, paying Formula One. Now, they also have other investments across sports, too, outside of uh, Newcastle United, WWE, and Formula One. They've spent at least, at least $150 million on two separate high-profile boxing events that included Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr. Saudi Arabia also acquired ESL Gaming. It's one of the largest independent esport entities in the world. They bought it from a Swedish company called Modern Times Group for just over $1 billion. They then bought Face It which is one of the biggest tournament organizers in esports, for $500 million and merged the two companies together to form the ESL Face It Group. Again, that's at least a $1.5 billion organization just based off the purchase price alone. If you combine the two, maybe it's worth even more than that. So as you can see, they've spent billions and billions and billions of dollars on different sports investments already. And that's without even mentioning that there was a rumor from Bloomberg that came out a few months ago that Saudi Arabia tried to buy. They tried to buy, not not get a race, not sponsor. They tried to buy Formula One from Liberty Media for $20 billion, which is significantly more than it was currently trading at and probably three to four to five times what Liberty Media bought it for. So again, Liberty Media turned them down, but Saudi Arabia has apparently decided if you're not going to be able to go buy Formula One for $20 billion, let's double down on this investment in golf that we already are doing. So look, the details of this deal that happened yesterday aren't exactly clear yet. So anyone that tells you they know exactly how the merger is going to look a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, or five years from now, they're either misinformed or they're simply guessing. But I want to walk through some of the details of what we do know, right? So I'm going to list off a bunch of different bullet points that are listed in the newsletter today, and I'll break down what's happening. And all this information is publicly available to some extent. It's taken from the PGA Tours press release. It's taken from Jay Monahan's interview on CNBC yesterday morning. 
It's from different reporters that were uh, either in contact with people that were at the players only, only meeting last night or have inside sources in this. So you can go and read all the stuff in the newsletter, but I want to just break down kind of from a 30,000 foot view what exactly is happening. So first off, the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, which is essentially the European Tour, you should think about it, and Live Golf are merging their commercial businesses and rights to create a new collectively owned for-profit entity. So those three organizations are going to merge all of their business rights into one entity, and that's going to be new. This merger is going to cancel all pending litigation between PGA Tour and Live Golf. We'll get to that in a second, but all pending litigation between the two businesses is going to be canceled out. Saudi Arabia, through their $620 billion sovereign wealth fund, is the sole investor in this new entity. The sole investor. They're the only one actually putting capital in. And they're expected to put at least $3 billion in capital into this newly combined entity. So not only are they the only one doing it, they're putting at least $3 billion. So the easiest way to think about this is that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour took a $3 billion investment from Liv and Saudi Arabia via their private investment fund. So not only are they investing $3 billion in and they're the only one doing it, they also have exclusive rights to invest in this new entity and a right of first refusal on any outside investments. So no one else can invest in this entity without the approval of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, their PIF, private investment fund. So again, they're the only ones putting money in and no one else could put any money in without their approval. This agreement was put together over seven weeks, according to Jay Monahan. It involved just Jay Monahan and two other PGA Tour board members, no players, and they negotiated directly with Saudi Arabia. So again, no players were involved. Seven weeks long of negotiation, roughly we'll call it two months. Only three people on the PGA Tour side were involved in the negotiations. They negotiated directly with Saudi Arabia. Meetings took place again in Venice, in London, in the Middle East, in the US, and other places in Europe. And the deal eventually got done. So live athletes, so the people that went from the PGA Tour to live golf, I'm talking about you know, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, all those guys, they'll be able to reapply for membership with the PGA Tour. There's already word out there that they're going to have to pay a fine because they they obviously got paid a lot of money to go to live golf and it wouldn't necessarily be fair. And I say that in air quotes because what is really fair today with what's going on to come back to the PGA Tour and just keep all that money. So the PGA Tour has said that they will have to pay a fine to get back on the PGA Tour, but they can apply for reinstatement on the PGA Tour. And secondly, the PGA Tour is going to remain in place as a 501c tax-exempt organization. So this is important for a couple different reasons, because the easiest way to think about this, I just said, you know, six, seven, eight different bullet points. But if we want to just simplify it into one sentence, it's this. The PGA Tour has essentially agreed to take a $3 billion investment from Saudi Arabia to create a new entity that acts as the parent company or shell company for all business and commercial interests across golf. So it's going to be a completely new entity that sits on top of basically the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and Live Golf. All these other entities will still exist, but they're putting their commercial and business interests, they're taking it out of their own personal entity and putting it in this new one. So think of it as a parent company, a shell company, whatever you want to call it. But the PGA Tour is accepting a $3 billion investment from Saudi Arabia into that because they believe that their business is worth significantly more than Live Golf today, which granted that that's fair. And they are taking a $3 billion investment for this new company. The board of directors for the new commercial entity is going to include Yasir Al-Ruman, who is going to be the chairman. He's on the Saudi side, and we'll get to him in a second. He's going to be the chairman, which essentially means he's in charge of the board. Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, is going to be the CEO of this new company. And the PGA Tour, this is a very important caveat to this. In the press release, they, they explicitly say that the PGA Tour is going to be able to appoint a majority of the board. So they'll have the voting rights on the board, and that will allow them to maintain 
a majority voting interest in the company. So they'll have more seats on the board, they'll have higher voting rights, and they'll be able to determine and shape the future of this company. So we think, right? Obviously, Yasir is the chairman, and that is the highest position in the board and usually controls the board. But that is what the PGA Tour is saying today. So look, we, we obviously have to wait around a little bit and, and get more details on this deal. It's very, very clear. Jay Monahan actually even said this, that this is essentially just a framework. There's no way in hell you can work out a deal this complex in just six to seven weeks, especially when you're only meeting in person a few different times. There has to be lawyers, there has to be finance people, there have to be bankers, there has to be operational people, there has to be a bunch of different people involved in this that have not even heard about this, right? Literally, the players found out about it today, the TV partners found out about it yesterday, sorry, and everyone else found about it, right? Tiger found out about it on Twitter, Roy found out about it on Twitter, everyone. Greg Norman didn't know about it, who's running Live, he didn't know about it. No one knew about it except for the, the three people on the PGA side and then a few people on the Saudi side. So this is going to take some time to play out. Essentially, what we have right now is a framework to establish a deal. They're going to work through the remaining details and try to get this thing approved. But I want to run through a couple different thoughts that I have on the agreement and things that you guys should probably be thinking about too. First off, Rory and Tiger, and frankly, everyone else on the PGA Tour should be freaking pissed. Jay Monahan went around claiming moral superiority for 18 months straight, making comments about 9-11 and all this other stuff. And he essentially made Rory and Tiger Woods defend the PGA Tour to the media every single week while he was nowhere to be found. But then Jay Monahan negotiates his own deal with Saudi, a $3 billion plus deal that the players found out about on Twitter. And this decision has cost several players more than $1 billion in earnings combined, right? If you just look at all the players that I mentioned earlier, up and down the list, Tiger Woods was reportedly offered $800 million to join Live. Rory McIlroy was reportedly offered $500 million. Hideki, $300 million. Wills Outdoor is $130 million. And that's not counting everyone else that was probably offered large, large, large sums of money and just didn't end up going to do it. They were told by the PGA Tour, hang with us. This is not the right thing to do morally. We're going to increase prize money on the tour. We're going to do these designated events. Viewership's going to be up. You're going to become famous. You're going to get all these sponsorship deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you can say what you want about the morality aspect of this, but I guarantee you significantly more players, at least a couple more players, but probably significantly more players would have gone to live golf if they knew 18 months later they could get paid and come back to the PGA Tour. That's just a fact, right? Will Zalatoris specifically, he did an interview with Graham Bensinger, which is fantastic. But essentially, Graham asked him, he goes, why did you not take Liv's deal, right? It had been rumored that he was offered $130 million. He's 25 years old, and he's only made 15. I say only, but he's made $15 million on the PGA Tour. So he was going to make more money than he'd ever made in his entire life, 25 years old, set his family up for life. And he essentially, he, he said, it's not about the money for me. It's not about the money. I have been wanting to win majors my entire life. I've been playing golf since I was five years old. I've been chasing this dream for 20 years now that I'm 25, and I want to win majors. And that is now a reality for these guys, right? They're going to be allowed to go play in all the majors. They're going to get potentially back on the PGA Tour. They're going to be playing and competing against the best golfers in the world. And guys like Brooks Kepka, guys like Phil Mickelson, guys like Dustin Johnson, et cetera, et cetera, are going to get to keep, they're going to get to keep hundreds of millions of dollars in earnings that all of these other players weren't able to get simply because Jay Monahan said that this was never going to be a possibility. He literally said a merger is off the table. He said it multiple, multiple, multiple times. And now he's parading around today saying, times change, you have to change your opinion. Just because I saw facts three, five, six months ago doesn't mean they're facts today. And while that's reality, that doesn't mean that the players shouldn't be pissed. I think they are pissed. There's rumors coming out of the players only meeting last night saying about 90% of the people that were there were furious. There was a standing ovation when it came to the idea that they should change leadership. 
and people are furious, and again, rightfully so. Number two, the PGA Tour has the votes, but Saudi has the money. And let me explain what I mean by this. Jay Monahan is already saying that the PGA Tour will continue to run the PGA Tour. He's essentially saying nothing's going to change. We're going to keep the same events. We're going to keep the same prize money. We're going to keep everything as it is, the rules, everything. No team, none of that stuff, right? He's saying the PGA Tour is going to run the PGA Tour. What we think is best will continue to be best. And even though the PGA Tour has majority control of the board, Saudi's Yusir Al-Rahman is the chairman, and Saudi has 100% investment control. So again, this is what it feels like to me. This is not based on any necessarily knowledge around kind of the financial structure or the voting structure or any outside knowledge of what we've already been provided. But this agreement feels a lot like it's a golf conglomerate, right? They put all these different assets together to form one big golf business that is effectively controlled by the Saudis, but run by the PGA Tour. And what I mean by that is simple. Whoever has the money is king, right? That's literally how it goes. Saudi has the money. They put in $3 billion. They can contribute a hell of a lot more if they want to. No one else is allowed to put in any money. They're the exclusive investment partner of this whole thing. And essentially, what I believe is that they've created the, the biggest golf organization in the world now by combining a bunch of different assets. And it's effectively controlled by the Saudis, but run by the PGA Tour. We'll see if that ends up being true, kind of what happens long term. But just because the PGA Tour has the voting rights, just because they say that the PGA Tour will remain the PGA Tour, that isn't always true. Number three, the DOJ is still watching. And what I mean by this is simple. The U.S. Justice Department has been investigating the PGA Tour and Live Golf for months now. It's been going back and forth. They're separate investigations, but they're obviously tangentially related. The DOJ has been looking into allegations of past conduct related to, one, the collusion of the official world golf rankings. They're essentially trying to decide if the PGA Tour had any collusion to do with that and not allowing live golfers to be ranked. And then also just partnerships, right, in and around the golf industry that has led to either collusion, right, or anti-competitive natures. But the other thing that I think is important to mention here is that this merger is also going to invite scrutiny, right? You're essentially monopolizing the golf industry again. That's kind of how it was with the PGA Tour before. Then you divide it up and you have live, you have competing things. The market is able to decide kind of like what people are worth. You're able to go sign for, for different amounts of money and, and test yourself in the market. And now that's going away, right? So it's this weird world now where golf is being put back into a monopoly of sorts. And there's already people that are pointing to a few different cases that we've seen across sports. The most notable one is probably when the NBA and ABA merged in the 1970s. There were lawsuits filed, obviously, there. It delayed the process for a couple of years. Because the simplest way to think about this is that competing businesses, they can't conspire to restrict competition, right? And that's exactly what this is doing. By combining these different businesses together and creating the world's biggest golf organization, you can say, hey, look, you can play for Live, you can play for the PJ Tour, you can play for the DP Tour, you can play for all these different tours. But ultimately, now you're creating a monopoly of sorts, and we'll see what comes up, right? Maybe this is a thing where actually the PGA Tour knew that the findings of the original investigation weren't going to be good, and this was a better solution than allowing the Department of Justice continue to kind of poke and prod around. I don't know, right? That's just pure speculation at this point. But my guess is that the DOJ is not done with this. They're going to be looking at this for quite a while, and it's going to be some time before we actually get a decision on if this deal is going to be finalized. Now, number four, Saudi Arabia is just getting started in sports. Now, we've already talked about their involvement with Newcastle United, the WWE, Formula One, boxing, esports, and golf. But one of the other things that probably flew a little bit under the radar this week, especially for people in the U.S., kind of sports fans there, we got the NBA Finals going on, we got the Stanley Cup, the French Opens in full swing. There's a lot of stuff going on. Now we got the, the Live Golf and PGA Tour merger. But the one thing that happened this week that was pretty, pretty important 
in the grand scheme of things, was Saudi Arabia's investment fund, their $620 billion investment fund, officially announced that they're taking control, taking control, taking over ownership of the country's four biggest soccer teams. This is the team that Cristiano Ronaldo plays on, et cetera. So what has happened here? They're taking control of these four teams, and essentially they're going to be investing billions and billions and billions of dollars to try to recruit the world's best players. It's essentially Live Golf 2.0. That's literally what they're trying to do. So they already have Ronaldo and they got Kareem Benzema. They paid them to collectively more than a billion dollars or committed to them more than a billion dollars over the next three, four, five years. Absolutely insane money. Messi has an outstanding offer from them that's reportedly $400 million per season, per season, $400 million, which would be more money than anyone has ever earned in a single year in the history of sports. And look, soccer, I think it's very clear at this point that is Saudi's next target. It is going to happen. You know, who knows? I'll write about it at some point about whether they're going to be successful there. It's obviously a very, very tough uphill climb. You have a bunch of different organizations that are running soccer today. Premier League is obviously the most well-known and the most competitive, but you essentially have to get to a point where you have to convince a lot of people to come over. Money is certainly part of it, but do they want to live there? Who are they going to be playing against? Are they going to be on TV? A bunch of different things. China tried this a while ago with the Chinese Super League, and it's essentially non-existent today. So again, they're, they're recruiting a, a different kind of talent, right? The Chinese Super League wasn't recruiting Ronaldo. They weren't recruiting Benzema. They weren't recruiting Messi, et cetera. So we'll see if it works out. And then number five, I want to introduce you guys to the guy who is essentially running golf now. I tweeted about him yesterday and people were having a field day making jokes about he'd be the most powerful person on LinkedIn. His resume is out of control. He must be getting a million different DMs every single day. His email is crazy. And this is because it's Yasir al Ruman. He is the chairman, going to be the chairman of this newly created entity from the PGA and Live Golf. And he is essentially one of the most powerful people in Saudi Arabia today. He's the right-hand man to the crown prince MBS. So he's his best friend. They talk all the time and they execute all these things together. He's very, very, very involved in sports. And he's actually the reason that Live Golf started. He loves golf. So he was part of the reason that Live Golf was, was able to get off the ground. He went and found Greg Norman. He did all this stuff, right? He is the one driving their sports initiative from the Vision Plan 2030. And he has you know a bunch of different responsibilities. He's currently the governor of their $620 billion investment fund. He's the chairman of the $2.1 trillion Saudi Aramco company. He's also the chairman of Newcastle United, the, the football club. He's a board member at Uber and SoftBank, along with a dozen other companies. And now he's going to be in charge of the world's largest professional golf organization. Obviously, we'll have to see what happens there. I don't think that he's running all those things at once. Maybe some of them are just kind of titles that he holds on to. But that's a lot of responsibilities, and he is a name that you're going to be hearing a lot more about in the golf community for years to come. And last but not least, I'll leave you with this. Just hours after the merger news broke yesterday, Netflix producer of their show Full Swing, the golf version of F1 Drive to Survive, Chad Munn confirmed on Twitter that Full Swing was filming at the RBC Canadian Open when all of the players saw the news on Twitter. They were literally filming and someone commented and they said, hey, did you know about this before? He goes, nope, just straight up luck. So that's going to be amazing. I thought last year was going to be great and it was. And I simply thought that because of obviously the access and everything like that, but it was the first year of Live Golf, right? We saw Roy McIlroy famously say on the table, fuck Phil Mickelson and all this stuff and a bunch of other stuff happened. But this year should be even better with this news breaking. It's going to be 
a very fascinating series. And I will keep you guys updated as more stuff comes out over the next few weeks. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. I have one ask from all of you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one friend. It's a gentleman's agreement. I create all of this content for free and I hope you guys enjoy it. And again, all I ask is just share it with a friend, help the podcast get a little bit bigger, help me help you by making this show better. All right. I hope everyone has a great day and we will talk on Friday.